0: The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF. Law.
1: Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. There was no match this week to review, so we aren't going to review a match, but we do have a very special interview with Joe Lowry. You may know him from Total Soccer Show, from MLSsoccer.com, from his own website, Back Uh, doing lots of great work, so we're really excited to have him on again. We'll also preview the upcoming Vancouver match and cover cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I am joined by Mr. Nationwide, Mr. Continental Breakfast,
0: Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I'm very happy to be back. And I read the tweets about these names that I have now before I actually (laughs) had the chance to listen to the show, and I was like very confused and scared. By what you and Wellhausen had come up with. Um, but luckily, it was, it was all okay. And I did so eat so a lot how of. How do cotton- you feel about them after you have the context I, now? I did eat a lot of continental breakfast. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Why are we gone? Yeah, I managed to go to both Salt Lake City and Midland, Texas last week. And as a, I don't know, do you, do you consider like Lubbock and Midland part of the same geography? I think, so. I think so. I think
1: people people in both places would call themselves West Texas. Um, and so while there is a lot of similar DNA, they are also quite different places. Um, and if I had to choose
0: one to spend time in, it would still be Lubbock. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think given top- topography-wise, I feel like Lubbock has more to offer in terms of it's not quite as flat. It's not quite as desertish. Like there's a little more going for it. Uh and, and as think. far as like the the crowd that like the
1: entertainment industries there are catering to, you have like kind of the college scene in Lubbock. And I've I've played in bars in both places and uh, the Midland ones always felt like I was going to like a wild west saloon kind of.
0: <laughs> were you like if you remember the Blues Brothers movie where they were playing by the chicken wire and yes. stuff, yeah, a little bit like that? We, that what you get we got both both kinds of music,
1: <laughs> country and western.
0: Yeah, and the other the other thing that's interesting about Midland, so I flew in and out of the Midland International Airport, which is also the Midland International Air and Spaceport. Oh. Because apparently about ten years ago. That airport was authorized as a launch site for commercial satellites into space. But then, okay. the, but then the company that made that happen subsequently went broke. And they've <laughs> never launched anything into space, but it's the only commercial airport in the United States. This is also a spaceport. Okay. Except it's not actually Good. a spaceport because they've never actually but, launched anything it into could space. Be. But it could be. It's the only one that could be. <laughs>
1: I feel like I was harsh to Midland. I'd like to apologize. <laughs> there you go. I I have a lot of friends from Midland, and I've had some good memories there, playing in your country in Western bars.
0: Yes, let's 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 dig ourselves out of this hole and start talking about small <laughs> NFC news.
1: All right, uh, not that much news this week, but a couple of pieces are that Owen Wolf and Michael Burton finished up their international trips. I think they're done. I think they finished it all, but. In any case, we didn't get a lot of information from either of them. We know Owen Wolf scored a goal and got a red card against Croatia. Uh, So good and bad there. Then Micah Burton, I know, got a start against Germany, but I couldn't really find much other info on his performances. Um, In any case, it's really cool that they're there and getting minutes, getting starts on these teams. To kind of give an idea of where these players fit into these teams, I don't think either either of them are written-in-pin starters, um, but are getting called in multiple times and are getting minutes every time they go in, which I think is a good sign.
0: Yeah, I think being average national team players at their youth um, level is probably pretty good. And do you think... We've talked about this before when there was an international break and Austin had nobody... Called out. I mean, you still think that these two guys are probably the most likely to be our first full national team players in terms of like getting to play. I think ignoring John Colemanich's perform like attempt,
1: maybe most likely, but even just like looking back at the guys who were on the U20 team, I don't know, four or five years ago and kind of tracking their trajectory just because you're getting youth national team minutes doesn't mean it's a direct walk into the national team. And so given that they're not starting on these teams, aren't the stars on these teams, I think it's still, they still have quite a ways to go before they're getting full national team call-ups. And so I don't think the evidence we have so far shows that they have a super high chance of doing it. It's
0: possible, but it's not, I would say not likely just based on history. That's uh, probably fair. And then my other question is, did you watch the game? Did you watch the Japan game on, was it Friday morning? Yeah, I got up It started at
1: 7.26 on Friday morning. And so I had to like start doing work stuff towards the end uh, whenever they started making subs. And so I didn't watch it super intently,
0: but I did watch it. Yeah, I watched the first half. It seemed like pretty bad overall. Um and hopefully we don't read too much into that. I guess the other thing is, did Berhalter say today that they, that he thought we were missing five starters?
1: Yeah, and now everyone's trying to figure out who he's talking about. And I don't know that anybody's
0: agreed on who the five are. <laughs> it seems like three or four are common, under a common agreement. But yeah, there's a couple of them where it's like, really? Those guys? Yeah, um, I think that's all the Austin FC news, isn't it? Is there anything else we needed to do? No, no, that's it. So I think in a change of pace, we should probably talk about the Vancouver match coming up this weekend before we go into the interview. Yeah, let's do it. So what is Vancouver looking like these days, Jeremiah? Well, Vancouver is sitting ninth in the West, but before a couple of matches ago, they were um, in really bad shape, but they have won their last two matches versus LA Galaxy and against Seattle. Um, Still overall, there are 35 goals for, 55 against So, they're only the negative 17 goal differential is only better than San Jose and DC. So, although they're not eliminated yet because they are, I think, five points out of seventh, they would need a minor miracle to make the playoffs. And I think you did, you figured this out. So, like, what would they have to do? So, they need to win
1: both games one against us and one against Minnesota, who's currently in seventh place. They need Minnesota to also lose their game this weekend against San Jose so that has to happen and then they need RSL to drop points in both of their games on top of that so like for them to win two games yeah maybe that's possible for Minnesota to also lose two games that makes it even more of a stretch and then for RSL on top of that to also drop points in both games like it's it's possible mathematically possible i think 538 has it at three percent for them to make the playoffs at this point um so not likely but there is still a road there which means i think they're going to be fighting for this one
0: yeah they are still they still have something to play for so best players i feel like we've talked about we talked about ron gold a lot he seems to be a constant thorn inside of austin i think he's played pretty well against us um another guy that everybody's probably familiar with is uh julian gressel Um, and then their leading scorer is Cavallini with eight, but he is, what, coming off a suspension?
1: Yeah, he was suspended for four games for stomping on a guy's back while jumping over him, Uh, maybe in the Nashville game, I think it was. So he was out for four games straight, um, is available for this game, I believe. So not sure if he'll start just due to lack of playing time with the first team but he has been playing for Canada during this international break so maybe that's enough to have him match fit and ready to go um in any case I'm not sure if we'll see him Brian White is the other uh option at striker if they're just playing one striker um, another another familiar face that's on this team
0: is little Sebastian Burhalter he's been getting
1: quite a few minutes for for
0: this team this year he has been and earlier in the year I think the first time we played him he was like uh, maybe near the top in terms of like fought mob, like player rating scores. I think he's dropped off a little bit, but I think it says a little bit about also about where Vancouver sits. The fact that little Sebastian is getting a ton of minutes for them. Probably, I think that's speaks, true, but probably speaks a lot to what they're doing, but I mean, he's developed as a player too. Like,
1: I th- yeah. I think he's gotten better. He, he really did have a, a pretty good run of, uh, run of form earlier on in the season. So I'm like, I, I hope the best for him. I, I like the kids, so I want him to do well. Um, yeah, so he is improving, but yeah, I, I think what you said is also true.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so like w- the first, the last time he played was back in April at home. Austin won three nil. I think this was back when when Austin and LAFC were like trading spots for first place in the conference. So it was, they were on a bit better form, and this is probably the around the peak of Maxi Ruti season. So he scored a bunch of goals early, and this one was one where he did that too. So he had two goals, and I think Arutyi had the other one, and it was a real dominant performance. Although I look back, it was one of those that did not look dominant. It looked dominant to the eyeballs, but it did not look dominant in terms of X goal. Like it was like 0.95 to 0.72 or something, which speaks to why you don't care that much about X goal on a game-to-game basis. As I said on Twitter the other day, some of these teams need to stop expecting goals
1: and start scoring. Start
0: scoring, yeah. As you're trash talking some guy from (laughs) FC Dallas, right?
1: I think so. Um, So... Vancouver usually plays with like a back three, back five with wing backs. One of them being Julian Gressel, who is excellent in that position. They have also played him on the wing sometimes and moved to more of like a back four and played him as kind of a right midfielder, right wing player. So I'm curious as to if we'll see that against Austin this weekend, because they are, they're desperate right now. Like they have to win this game. So I'm not sure if that affects, if they go to try to put Gressel, who's one of their better players in a more attacking position, or if they try to stick to what they have been doing most of the season and play more of the back five. In any case, they need to be aggressive in this game. Like they have to come out swinging, which I think is good for Austin. Um, I think the bad version of that is where they come out more, with more intensity, and Austin does not match that or beat them in that uh, in that category, I think the good version is Vancouver has to come out a little bit aggressive, and Austin's able to open them up and score some score some goals on them. So I'm hoping for that one, but um, the alternative
0: wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Yeah, just just goes to show you never know. So let's I mean, so let's go into the playoff scenarios just to walk through these logistics. So this is obviously an important match in Austin in terms of what we have to do to finish second and to host playoff matches up until LAFC. So what do we need to do to finish second in the West? Obviously winning this match against Vancouver locks that spot down. And, or I think it's either this or winning the final match um, against Colorado at home. Either one of those does it. I think, yeah, getting
1: a single point in either of these games guarantees a second place. Oh, that's um, right,
0: because we're, we're five up with five up on Dallas with two to go. That's right, and we have
1: three more wins than them, so they can't catch us there, and that's the first tiebreaker. Um, so, yeah, one point does it. I think that would be a disappointing way and a concerning way to end the season, is if we only got one point. Uh, but it would do the trick as far as st- the standings go. Um, we could also, if, if Dallas... Um, Dallas could lose two games. We don't have to do anything necessarily, but, or if like
0: Dallas loses, if Dallas drops a point, it's if if Dallas a, Dallas drops a single or- point.
1: Yeah, there you go. So I'm hoping we can gain four, six points in these last two games, uh, and not have to worry about it and have to think about it and feel good going into the playoffs. But, uh, at the very least, yeah,
0: one will do it. And then the other thing is to talk about is that so decision day, which is the Colorado match. Um, well, one, I guess it. I was thinking about this because I have tickets to this game. Like, if Austin has this wrapped up, what kind of environment do you expect on decision day at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday? Like, do you think it'll be a little bit muted? Do you think it'll be a celebratory mode? Like, what are you expecting for the crowd on that day? Yeah,
1: I really don't know. It's. Um it's not anything that we've ever had to deal with before. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, I mean, last year, the last day of the season, Austin actually played, well, it was the last home game, I guess. Um, Austin played well and beat Kansas city. We we played our last game of the season on the road and that one did not end well. Um, so, I mean, as far, and again, as far as atmospheres last year, it kind of seemed like a celebratory thing at the last home game just because it was like kind of an emotional experience that we, we had the season and like all the people who had been involved since way early on got to actually have this season and and see all of this happen. And so I think that'll be different as well. I could see it still being pretty, pretty amped up um, just because people will be excited about the playoffs and we'll have a decent idea of who we might be seeing then, or at least what seed we're going to be playing against. But yeah I really don't
0: know what it's going to look like what do you what do you think i don't know i hope that, I hope that it's celebratory and exciting. I think a little bit it has to do with what else is going on and i don't i think it I think it I don't think it'll be a ton, but I just like I was wondering about a Sunday afternoon game when everybody knows at that point that we will have a game the next weekend at home like it, like will it be muted in anticipation of our first playoff match and I hope not and I don't think. I have no doubt that like the supporter section of Lamberger will be all amped up. And my question is just like, will the rest of the stadium feel the same thing or will the rest of the stadium be waiting for the bigger game next week?
1: Yeah. I. So I guess I'll, I'll make an actual prediction is this seems like a good formula for like, uh, kind of like a footloose and fancy free day drunk kind of day game where everyone is still like there and happy to be there and having fun but maybe it's not the most intense of environments.
0: Well, and that will describe me totally. I intend to be completely <laughs> footloose, fancy free and day drunk by four o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> on a Sunday. So that's, so all the Western conference teams will play it for um, all the Eastern conference teams play at one thirty. 30. It's this traditional kind of like decision day thing where nobody should have an advantage over knowing who they're going to play or whatever. So it's like, if you're a person sitting at home, like it should be like a fun day of sitting in front of the TV and watching soccer too. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so
1: has there been any information released about like when
0: certain seeds would play? Like they haven't said any of that, right? None of that's out. We, 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 we will play on Saturday the 15th, Sunday the 16th, or Monday the 17th. Um, and I think Saturday's least likely because I think Saturday's matches are just regional broadcasts and Sundays and Mondays are the national ones, and I assume that that news comes out basically as soon as the decision day matches are finalized or later that day when the league knows sort of what the most attractive matchups in terms of television might be, but we won't know that until, until that Sunday at the earliest. The other thing I did see is that most of the playoffs matches will be on Sunday, and I think we could probably expect the first round to be that way, and probably mostly throughout that is we'll be having like Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening matches, which is I think good for like attending and observing there are some there are some going to be scheduled on mondays and
1: thursdays though correct
0: yeah there, there are a few of those i don't remember exactly how many but i think most of like the major broadcast games are the sunday games so i would expect given the excitement in austin and given where austin is going to finish in the table that we would probably not have too many of those games
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. That makes me feel a little bit better because I think I think a weekday game would kind of be a bummer. Like I would still be hopping in there, but it would just be so much more fun for it to be on a weekend.
0: Uh, All right. Anything else, Jeremiah? No, let's go to this Joe Lowry interview, which I'm excited about. He's super fun, super smart, uh, very aware of himself. I'd say very aware of his own limitations and kind of like how he's received. And so this should be a really good interview. Yeah, we we had a lot of
1: fun talking to him last year before the season started, so we thought it'd be fun to have him on again, and he didn't disappoint. It's great. So uh, that's going to be the rest of this episode is our interview with Joe Lowry, so enjoy. One last time, Moon Tower Soccer will be doing a ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group. To enter, go to Moon Tower Soccer, then click on Free Ticket Giveaway in the top navigation bar or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form.
0: Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage Real Estate Advice in Austin, and I think this this is probably more true now than it was when you could just like roll your hoarder house out and ask $4 million for it and people would pay for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that you actually have to work a little bit in the market, I think probably people are more in need of of Sage Real Estate Advice. So do that. Check out our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group.
1: And as always, Moontower Soccer is brought to you by friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC.
0: FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And they are a fanatical law firm, according to the billboard that I see every time I go get the boys chicken strips at the uh, Bush's <laughs> Chicken on 620, which there's a giant billboard right <laughs> on top of that building.
1: You can go to FBF.law
0: to find out what
1: makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FBF.law. All right, we are very excited about our guest today. He is uh, one of the co-hosts of Total Soccer Show, which is a show we talk about on this show fairly often, and then also has his own website called BackHealed.com. His name is Joseph Lowry. Joe, how's it going, man?
2: I'm good. Landon Jeremiah, it's been a while. It's been too long. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the last time we had you on, it was before the 2021 season. Uh, I think there had been a couple of like scrimmage slash practice game kind of things, and we didn't even get full streams of those. So we were flying pretty blind as far as what we wanted or what we thought the team was going to look like. We'll get to all that in a second. But there's some more recent, uh, recent stuff that we wanted to to bring up before we get into that part.
0: Yeah, that that question is: How do you feel about uh, Josh Wolf specifically calling you out <laughs> on a screenshot in an Austin FC hype video? Like, you
2: seem really excited I, about it. I love it. I mean, how great is that, right? Like, this is the. I feel like MLS in general doesn't have enough pettiness, and Austin in this year has really brought out like from from inside the team has really done a great job of being MLS's leader in pettiness. And I, like, I don't have any heart. I'm not going to get bent out of shape about preseason predictions. They're impo- MLS is impossible to predict, and if you say otherwise, you're wrong, right? So if, if people want to throw those of us for, at MLSsoccer.com and other places under the bus for whatever predictions we made, that's fine. More power to them. They've earned that right by reading our stuff. So I love it. I love that Josh Wolf did that. If that's what is motivating this team in those kinds of moments, and it does seem like there's some truth to that, right? It seems like this team has actually been fueled by Andrew Wiebe from, from day one with his bonus game thing. And then you go through any of the preseason predictions in that video we got last couple weeks ago now, it would have been. And then you've got uh, Felipe coming out on Twitter talking about, I mean, it's just, it's so good. It is honestly so good. And I, I'm really glad Austin's doing it because, I mean, it, it's fun to have stuff like this to talk about
1: jeremiah when was it that we got used as like the the negative voices in one of the hype <laughs> videos the second was that this year
0: or last no year? that was this year that was after the second game and it's like they're sort of talking about preseason predictions and i don't i don't remember what you said but then then i said like i don't know if josh wolf is either like incapable or unwilling to learn and then like it fades to black and then they're like hey 10 to 1 like uh. what do you guys think <laughs>
1: oh i i we wore it as kind of a badge of honor as well of course though. like if you got to. if we can if if a they're they're paying attention, i guess, but then b uh they are using it for motivation like anything we can do to help we're here for you sure. guys. yeah,
2: it's kind of a win win for you all i love it it's it's it is absolutely a badge of honor it is it's fun, it's fun stuff and like this is kind of my favorite part of the m l s season because you have a lot of drama going on with the playoffs and, and sort of we're winding into some important games. And then you have team Twitter accounts, social media admins, and actually, apparently now head coaches waving predictions around in front. Of, it's it's just great. Like this <laughs> is just this is what MLS should be all about, baby. And we're here for it.
1: All right. So getting back to the last time um, we had you on, like I said, I listened to that whole episode and made a few notes that some of which I thought were just kind of fun to contrast <laughs> what actually happened, and others that I thought were outright funny. Because of how bad these predictions were. Uh, so a few players had just scored in the 2021 preseason friendly games that were going on. And we were pretty excited about him. Jeremiah, can you guess who those players were? Joe, feel free to guess as well.
2: Sure. Yeah. You go I first, like Roddy, Jeremiah.
0: <laughs> like Rodney Redis had to have been one of them.
1: Rodney Redis, I think, had like three goals and two assists in those games or something like that. He's one. That was fun,
2: wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
1: He, he ended up with one assist in 25 appearances in 2021.
2: And then I guess uh, my other one... My, I'll go ahead, Yeah, Joe. No, go ahead. You got I, it. My
0: other one would be Danny Hooson, I'm guessing. Danny Hooson,
1: I think, had two goals in preseason against USL competition. He ended up playing five games in all of 2021, and they were the first five games.
2: <laughs> it went well. It went well. Let's put it that way.
1: Uh, any guesses for the other one?
2: Uh, I I feel like... Cecilia Dominguez might have actually sort of done a little bit better than, than maybe, I don't know. I don't remember having super high expectations for him to begin with, and obviously that maybe didn't end super well. Who was it, Landon?
1: It was Aaron Schoenfeld, who oh. never ended up even putting on an Austin FC jersey. He never made a game day roster, was never fit enough to even be considered for it, and then never played a game before he retired. Nice. so we were very excited for absolutely no reason it appears um but we also one other thing that we kept saying was that this Austin team had a a quote high floor that we didn't think they were going to be great but we didn't think they were going to be bad that's another thing that we were pretty wrong about because they ended up being it Quite depends bad. on how you define
2: high floor, right? I mean, if, if by high floor we mean second to last in the Western Conference, then I think we were spot on, was not last, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and so we then went on to pick what we thought was Austin's best 11 going into the season. We actually did a decent job on this one. For what that roster looked like, we did okay. So one spot that we were concerned about was the goalkeeper position, Um, we, we thought that Andrew Tarbell was, was pretty much the lock for that starting position, but thought that Brad Stuver might be challenging him. And then maybe Brady Scott with a little bit of, of experience could maybe fight for that spot as well. Brady Scott is now playing in USL, I believe no longer with the team. Um, Andrew Tarbell has played in, I don't know, a handful of games and Brad Stuver has been. Joe, you can correct this number. I would sure. say like top five or six goalkeepers in the whole league. Yeah. Um, would you, where, where would you rank him there?
2: I think that's about the right spot. I don't think I'd go top three, but like top five, top six, top seven, right in there. He's been excellent. I remember having this discussion about Andrew Tarbell versus Brad Stuver, and not really knowing <laughs> what was going to separate the two, right? I mean, both players that hadn't played a ton of MLS before. And I remember this discussion. Stuver did all right. He's done all right for himself since then, hasn't he?
0: Yeah, we're pretty happy with him. Yeah, so Joe, I was gonna ask like <laughs> like what do you from his game, like what are you most surprised by? Like what like I mean, I don't think any of us expected to see like what he's
2: what he's become. Yeah. Like, when did when did you kind of see this become a reality? I didn't I didn't expect him to be so dominant in terms of shot stopping as he was last year, right? I mean that's a huge narrative. That was a huge narrative around Austin and still Stuver and goal this year, I think, is a big part of, of Austin's success to have someone like that. Yeah, it kind of made sense. He came from New York City, right? So I think if my memory serves, So he has or had experience playing in a system that requires you to play with the ball at your feet. Uh, so that, that's a that's a big thing. I think he's done very well at, probably better than I expected. But man, just how good he's been at, at keeping balls out of the back of the net. I didn't expect that at all. And credit to Austin for nailing that signing from inside MLS. That's the kind of stuff that helps you in year one or, or really now in Austin year two, find success, find legitimate success in the Western Conference. And they, they certainly nailed that signing.
1: So one of the other predictions, or I guess as we were picking the 11, I don't know if this is necessarily a prediction, but we said that Alex Ring was going to be the six in this team and that Danny Pereira was going to be one of the eights. Since then, Danny Pereira has mostly played at the six and Alex Ring has mostly played as an eight. There are certain qualities that Pereira has that are extremely valuable in that position, but there are other qualities that maybe leave Austin a little bit vulnerable. What has been your overall take on Danny Pereira playing as a
2: six? I think he's fun, and I think with the right pieces around him, he can be a really good number six in MLS, and I think he's shown some of that this year, right? I think he has the technical quality. He has the vision, and one thing I really liked about him coming out of college when we when we were sort of talking about him last year is is that technicality, right? He is he is smooth on the ball. He sees space well, I think. Uh, the, the things that he lacks, though, are some of the defensive awareness. Um, sometimes he doesn't have the speed to cover ground that, that you often would think about a number six having. But that's just his profile, right? So I think in the right system, and Austin could very well be the right system with Alex Ring covering ground around him with some center backs trying to do that dirty work as well. It could end up being a really, really good fit over the next couple of years. And I think there's been some nice signs this year but with Pereira, you sort of know what you get in terms of his athleticism and his ability to to have that that straight line speed that maybe he doesn't have in the way that a, a prime Diego Charo would have, right? So you sort of got to take the good with the bad, the bad with the good, and I, I do think with Pereira there is an awfully lot of good about his game.
1: And I I think with having a thing I've said on the show pretty regularly is that like yeah, Danny or sorry, Alex Ring is better defensively in that position but he's also probably the in the top two smartest players on the team and in this system Josh Wolf wants his two smartest players playing in the, those dual eight dual 10 roles and so sure. that's where he likes to have him
2: yeah and having Pereira in there as well helps you recycle the ball helps you control the ball and that's something that that Josh Wolf has valued ever since he took this job right I mean that that's been a theme of him going with the national team now into this job with Austin. He wants to control the ball. And so having Alex Ring as a more of an all-action type of midfielder makes sense, right, coming from NYCFC as well, a a system that that values the ball. And Ring can do some of the dirty work. And then you have Pereira who can control, who can drive forward. He's really good at at, at dribbling the ball forward and, and breaking lines and getting out of pressure, very press resistant. I think there's a lot of room still for him to improve. He's still a young player. But I mean, I think you can see the logic behind that switch, even if if we sort of got it wrong way back in, and I guess the beginning of last year.
1: Um, so one of the other things that we didn't really predict, but kind of wondered if was going to happen, is with Nick Lima playing right back, would we see him kind of tucking into that that defensive midfielder role, like we saw him do in his short stint with the national team which is a thing that we never actually really saw with with Lima. He he like Wolf does give his fullbacks freedom to float inside on overlaps and like kind of underlap instead of overlap, but he never really did. Like like when he was doing that with the national team, he was straight up playing like defensive sure. midfielder essentially. And we never saw that. But one of the changes in 2022 that I think has been a, a big help for this team is that instead of the fullbacks always being dedicated to pushing high and overlapping the wingers. They their, their finishing position is a little bit deeper and a little bit tucked inside and I think that has really helped with Austin's transition defense. It hasn't completely solved it, but I think it's yeah. helped. What other changes tactically have you seen or like different like changes that you've noticed between 21 and 22 that have helped this team?
2: Sure. I, I think one part is Sebastian Driussi changing how this team plays, right? So before he gets here in the middle of the last season there is not this at least a high quality version of this number 10 smooth attacking midfield type. I mean ju coming in we weren't at least I wasn't very sure exactly where he was going to play on the field was it going to be a little wider was it going to be as a nine given Austin's issues with the nine last year and it has turned out to be sort of a number 10 number eight hybrid where he's able to drop back in he sometimes plays shaded to one side but he also has the freedom to move around. I think Josh Wolf has had to be a little bit flexible on how he sets this team up to accommodate an MVP-type talent. And that's what Drew C is, right? I don't know that he's going to win it this year just because of how darn good Honey Mukhtar has been and, and how good Nashville have sort of been towards the end of this season. But I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me if that happens. He's had to, Josh Wolf, I think has had to adjust and become a little bit more flexible in some ways. I think that the fullback observations are really good when Landon, as well. We talked about the midfield. All of those different sorts of orientations We've seen change a little bit, depending on the game, depending on the personnel, depending on the opponent, all that kinds of stuff. But the midfield, with, with Driussi sort of changing how the team has to, has to set up, uh, shape wise and, and positioning wise, mixed with some of the fullback stuff I think is interesting. And then just I think about the profiles in the forward line. And I'm curious to see how Rigoni is going to change some of this, uh, because I haven't seen a ton of him yet. I know he hasn't played a lot yet, but I, I, I've probably seen less of him than you guys have this season. The profile of winger that Austin have had, at least certainly with Diego Fagundes, is very much a, is a, a pinch inside, almost more of a half-space guy than a, I'm going to beat you 1v1 for speed out wide. Ethan Finley can do a little bit more of that stuff, but I don't see Austin as having a, a game-breaker 1v1 wide player. And so some of that stuff I think Austin, uh, that Josh Wolf has had to, to tweak a little bit from year one and maybe his opening plans till now, just again based off of sort of the personnel that, that he has to work with.
0: Yeah we mentioned this guy a little bit, so we talked about Cecilia Dominguez and maybe what we expected and what we got. and if ignoring the off- the field stuff, like, did you expect more of him than Austin did get out of him in 2021 and 2022? or you know, was, is he the player that we thought he was, or like what, 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 how do you feel about
2: what we saw from him? I'm trying to pull up his his goals and assist numbers for last year, so I'm stalling briefly to, to say before I find those numbers, yeah, I think it I know was it was sort seven of goals.: Seven goals. Yeah, okay. Seven goals and three assists. Okay. And he had some decent expected goals numbers and sort of underlying numbers to go along with it, but not DP numbers. He had maybe more like first winger off the bench for a good MLS team numbers rather than a a DP for a a new team with lots of money to spend kind of numbers. So Dominguez coming in and kind of his deal before he was an MLS based off of the numbers that I had seen in the film I'd watched of him down in, in Paraguay in particular was that he took a lot of bad shots. So he he wasn't the super disciplined athletic attacking player that was fitting as a, as a really useful cog within a, an attacking machine. He was kind of this player that was gonna get on the ball and has talent, right? So very clearly could have been a good player for Austin on paper. It just, it just never really clicked. And I think when you look back at some of the film and some of his numbers from before he arrives in MLS, we maybe shouldn't be totally surprised at that. I think Austin hurt themselves last year, to be honest, by spending some pretty important money and roster spots on two players in Redis and Dominguez that just really didn't work out. If they'd had more production, yeah, the, the attack really wasn't the issue last year, but you become more dominant in the attack and the defense sort of starts to follow almost naturally. So yeah, I think Jeremiah, it's, it's a fair question. I don't think the, the front office nailed that signing. I don't think they nailed a few different signings last year. And I, I think we sort of saw that play out on the field.
1: Yeah, to be fair, I, Dominguez played most of last year at the 9 because all True. of Austin FC's strikers were injured. And so I think he would have had a better year and started this season off looking fairly promising playing in that role, but uh given where we're at now, if you if you were say to like ask me if I would trade that player, again, ignoring off-field <laughs> activities here, uh just like talent profile-wise, Cecilio Dominguez, or Emiliano Rigoni, even though Rigoni hasn't quite fit in yet, I would take Rigoni in a heartbeat. I Just having watched film on him in, in his previous teams, I'm really high on him. I think he's really, really good. I don't think he's going to be really, really good for Austin this year just mm. because there's such a learning curve joining this team. And he does seem like an intelligent player, but I just think he's going to need a preseason, essentially, to really start clicking.
2: Yeah, what do you see, Landon and, and Jeremiah both, I'm curious to pick your brains, what do you see from Ragoni so far, right? So left-footed, he certainly has some some talent in the attack, skillful Argentine. What else have you noticed from him on the field, and, and sort of what leads you, other than just a lack of time, what leads you to think that he won't fit in? Not that I disagree, but I'm just curious, at least not fitting in this season in particular.
1: I just think in order for him to be a real game-changer, in this team he needs to i think he needs to be able to play in the system without thinking about it and we've noticed it looked like Austin players were thinking about it all of 2021 sure <laughs> and now that we have this team that is kind of clicking together and and understand the system understand what they're supposed to do in any given situation there's moments on the field where it's very clear that Rigoni isn't quite there um that being said, skill wise, I mean he's he's quite fast, and so he can still stretch that line like Finley does. He can. So what Ethan Finley is really good at is getting into these positions and like playing that role really, really well. But whenever Ethan Finley gets one on one with a guy, um, I think he's limited in what he's able to do in that moment, sure. which is where Rigoni I think is a step above because. He can take it with both feet. He can dribble guys. He's fast. He has good control. He has a good shot with both feet. He crosses well with both feet. And so just like the ceiling of what he can do when he does get into those dangerous moments, I think is higher than both Finley and with Dominguez for that matter. Um, But as far as just understanding what he's going to do, I think we talked about this on the show last week. If we had a playoff game this week, I would start Ethan Finley and have Mm. Rigoni as, as... an option to throw on late in a game.
0: Yeah, the only thing I would add is I feel like he has a little bit of a different dimension to his game that not everybody's comfortable with, and he's not comfortable with everybody else yet. Right? He just mm. like the the way he plays. Like you when you when you watch him and where my seats are, like where he's playing in the right wing on the offense is like he's always coming toward me. Like obviously he's very talented, but there's just something that's not clicking in, in the way that people play off him. And I think it's just system awareness and sort of the way he does things as a, compared to how Ethan Finley does them.
2: Sure. Interesting. Okay. I'll keep my eyes out for that stuff.
1: Um, Another guy that ended up not working was Tomas Pochettino. Um, Just never really fit into the system. But this year, having Danny Pereira kind of step up and become more – a player that can be relied upon, um, we – I mean, like, there's talk of Pochettino coming back after his loan ends, and I don't think anybody here wants him. I'd be very surprised if he did come back. But was there anything that you saw with him, as, like, why that didn't work?
2: Yeah, I'm just not sure he was very good, right? I mean, that's kind of like <laughs> a weird. simple explanation. But I think that that same theme sort of applies to my view, at least on Domingos and, and Reda's as well. Like, these are, again, misses by the front office. I talked about earlier with Drew how he's good enough to warrant this slight change and right, he's good enough to warrant the usage that he gets. Pochettino wasn't really good enough to be a 10 in this Like He wasn't technical enough, right? He wasn't as much of a playmaker to be a 10 in MLS, which is a league where 10s can still thrive, right? Just look around the Western, look around anywhere in MLS and and you see just tons and tons of 10s coming out here and doing stuff in ways that other leagues just don't have anymore because defenses in MLS still just aren't, aren't as good as the attack. So he wasn't good enough to be a number 10. He wasn't dynamic enough to really, to, to beat you in a lot of those transition moments. Yeah, he had some skill on set pieces. He had skill on the ball when, it, when he had it, but it wasn't like this dynamic presence that it's going to unlock the game for you. And Austin, if it wasn't coming from Pochettino last year, where was it coming from, right? It was, I guess, supposed to then be coming from the wingers. But when those moves didn't really work out how Claudio Reyna and, and the rest of the decision makers hoped they would, then a lot more of that burden falls on Pachettino when, yeah, maybe he was built, and I'm sure we talked, I don't remember exactly what we talked about, but I'm sure we talked about him as, a, as sort of a, this playmaker type in the attack to an extent. He just, he just wasn't enough of that to help Austin fix their, their problems last year.
1: Yeah, judging on things that Wolf said in press conferences last year, I think another problem was that he, like if you're not gonna be that next level talent in MLS and in this system, if you're just kind of a student and a hard worker, you can still find a role. And based on things Wolf said, he was not, he was at least not a student, yeah. maybe not a hard worker. <laughs> um, and so I think that had a lot to it. So going back to Drew, you see and kind of like the role that he plays, how would you define his game? Like, how would you describe it? I, I have a hard time like putting... A descriptor, like in a word, as to like he's this kind of player, or this is the kind of player he plays like.
2: Yeah, he's. It's weird with Drew. You see, right? Because he's not like this high volume chance creating number ten. He's not always the guy who's going to do a lot of the setup work this year. At least from from my from where I'm sitting each weekend, it, it's been Diego Fagundes doing a lot of that, with Alex Ring doing some of that as well. Drewsy can create chances, but he's, he's so smooth on the ball. So the first thing that I think of when I think of Drewsy is progressing the ball, right? So Austin are, are built in so many ways around having possession, even though they're not you know, married to that all the time. They do like to have the ball. Drewsy helps them advance possession from point A to point B. He's really good at that stuff, very press resist, resistant, hard to knock off the ball. He's extremely technical in, in that kind of way. Then, and I, I wrote about this recently, then he sort of, or at least a lot of the patterns of play this year for Austin that I've, that I've noticed is... He'll get the ball into the final third or into the attacking half. Then a lot of the time, he finds Diego Fagundes, to use him as an example. And then Giuse is really good at making runs into the box. I know you asked for one word, Landon. Good gracious, I did not <laughs> complete this assignment. We know, he, he we, know, the box. we know better. <laughs> good, good. I appreciate it. He gets into the box and, and finds space really well as this late-arriving runner. So he's not a classic... Carles Gil or Maxi Morales, number 10 in MLS, but he fits that role still in a really valuable way because you have Diego Fagundes doing some really good stuff on the left this year wherever he's popping up in Austin's attack. So he's like this perfect, he's the perfect cherry on top of Austin's puzzle, or, or I guess Sunday, whatever the analogy is that I'm trying to find here. But he He's the perfect finishing piece to this team, even though maybe he's not a classic, hardworking nose to the grindstone number eight or... This super through-ball-y kind of number 10, he kind of splits the difference between an 8 and a 10 at times, which you guys have mentioned already. And and because of the other players that Austin have around him, it it works. And I'm not sure it would work on every team in MLS, but it it does seem to be working for Austin.
1: So another thing we talked about last year when we had you on is what the differences between Wolf's game and Berhalter's game would be. And at the time, we hadn't seen Wolf coach an actual game yet. We'd only ever really seen him with Burhalter, and just kind of assumed, okay, it's going to be kind of like that. After almost two full seasons of, of film to watch on him now, what would you say are the similarities and differences between Burhalter's game and Wolf's game?
2: similarities, I think, are the fact that they both do value the ball really highly. Um, we saw the U.S. play out of the back under, uh, well, let's just say they didn't do it well against Japan the other day. So <laughs> they, they both try to, to control the ball a lot of the time, although we have seen both of them, and Berhalter maybe in some more high-profile games, sort of deviate from that in the right moments, in the moments that they feel are necessary. But valuing possession, and then impressing, I think is a big part. The U.S. has gotten a lot more... Pressing oriented really ever since Josh Wolf left, and not not to say that that's because Josh Wolf left and he was like this against pressing kind of guy, but Baralter sort of had that realization, and, and Josh Wolf happened to to not really be involved as much at that point. They've gotten more and more pressy as time's gone on, and Austin are are, are pretty pressy, right? So there, I have the numbers up for FBref right now. They're one, two, three, four, five, six. They're seventh in MLS this year according to FBref and pressures in the attacking third. So they do get forward, they do press. I, I would wager that we would probably see those numbers be a little bit higher if Austin hadn't jumped out to so many early and sort of commanding leads earlier on this season and sort of as the season's progressed. If you're up by three goals, you don't really need to go press in the same way that the Red Bulls come out and press every game. So that stuff is the same. Some ways or different. Berhalter seems to me is a little bit more married to the, the hardcore, hard and fast 4-3-3 three, three with one number six and two number eights, um, where they're like really dual eights, and then you have the wingers and the fullbacks changing channels and, and some of those different things. Josh Wolf, I think, has is, is deviated from that a little bit, where there's maybe more fluidity in the midfield. And, and when you're carrying someone like Dreusi, who doesn't do quite the same hard running as as an Alex Ringer, as an Alex Ring is gonna do, or when you look at the national team as a Weston McKenney or a Eunice Musa is going to do, you have to sort of shift, right? So I think that's a very practical thing that Josh Wolf has done to change up the shape a little bit but that's maybe the the primary difference that I see in terms of the structure of Austin and how it differs from from the national team is there's a little bit more variety and maybe we see something a little bit closer to a double pivot at times or or at least you see in a freer role than we see any of the U.S.'s midfielders
1: all right so we also have some questions from our listeners and The first couple here are actually about the national team. We know that you are very knowledgeable about the national team as well. So we have a couple of questions about that. The first one comes from Tom Halleck. He asks, what can USMNT fans do to overcome the kits Nike assaulted us (laughs) with other than cry and scream into our pillows at night?
2: Yeah, that's, that's sort of the best I've come up with so far, otherwise (laughs) just don't buy them. Um, I certainly will not be buying. Um, they're, they're really bad guys. They're really, really bad. I don't know if you saw, I think Greg Berhalter did a sit down with ESPN. I'm sure that was recorded, you know, a month ago before the the kits dropped and ESPN was just sitting on the footage and you know, he basically had to say, like, I think the kits are so great. Like I can tell there's a lot of work and you could just tell like this, this sort of dead inside look behind his <laughs> eyes. He, he knows, right? We all know. No one's, no one's buying this. So uh yeah don't don't buy them be sad you've (laughs) earned it um by having to look at these things we've all earned it um and we just sort of cross our fingers and hope that nike does better for 2026 that's about the best i got uh so i saw the poll like the athletic did a survey
1: about what they liked better and i was kind of surprised to see that the blue one was more popular than the white one which one do y'all like better I like the white one
0: better. <laughs> Jeremiah, what do you like? I, I like the blue one better. I mean, I feel like the blue one is average and the white one is awful.
2: Like, I, I don't... <laughs>
0: there's not it's a like, real strong for me,
2: upside. For me, it's like choosing between my two least favorite foods. Um, so I just like sort of spin, spin the roulette wheel a little bit, I guess. Maybe, maybe the white one is slightly better. But man, it did not look... I know some folks, and myself included, were hoping that it would look better on TV... The other day uh, and, and we saw it against Japan and it, it did not, in fact, look better. To, <laughs> look just, at least in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Speaking of Japan, let's go to the next one. After the loss of Japan, there was the usual was the usual Greg out crowd overreacting? Question one. And then question two is like, is Josh Wolf a potential candidate if there's a Burr Halter out?
2: Uh, eventually. I don't think we'll see Josh Wolf in that job before 2026. I think he, he, I mean, to be fair, there aren't a lot of American managers that are, are like miles ahead of him. Jesse Marsh is probably the only one. Uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo at Stuttgart in the Bundesliga is another, but I mean, he's not, he doesn't have the same ties, I think, to U.S. soccer and MLS and, and some of those different, you know, bigger name entities that someone like Jesse Marsh does. So, to be fair to Josh Wolfe, it's not like there's a mile of, of really highly proven MLS American coaches or just American coaches in general. I do think he probably needs a little bit more seasoning. Um, maybe this audio clip will play when, when Austin announced that he's taking a job. <laughs> I'll right, be right. in the background. That could be fun, right? <laughs> um, so eventually, yes. Now, probably not. I think Jim Curtin is, is a more intriguing option from inside MLS, and Jesse Marsh is probably the most intriguing option. In terms of of the... Berhalter out crowd overreacting or not overreacting after Japan. I think there's a lot of really fair criticism to be levied at at Berhalter. And it seems like he sort of accepted that, right, in comments he's made after the game talking about how we played poorly, uh, you know, talking about how I feel like they were coached poorly and the training sessions were bad and sort of just some different missteps that he and the coaching staff had taken along the way. I think he was willing to accept those things. I do also think it's still fair to to point out flaws, you know, regardless of, of whether he's accepted the blame or not. The team did not adjust very quickly. They, they clearly were overmatched and underprepared against a team like Japan where, you know, they're a very good team. I'm not saying the U.S. should go out there and blow the doors off Japan, but they should have been, you know, more competitive than they were, certainly. The U.S. was, was sort of in it for the first five, 10 minutes, and then just not at all after that. So, yeah, criticism is fair. I think we're, we're sort of out of our minds if we think the U.S. Soccer Federation is going to make a coaching change with two months before the World Cup. That, to me, feels like we're living in crazy land. Whether or not we should have gotten here in the first place is another discussion, but at this point, it's just not going to happen on the Burrell throughout stuff, in my opinion.
1: Late last year on the show, we had a discussion about whether we thought Josh Wolf, like his exit from Austin FC, would be because he got hired from another team Hmm. or if he got fired, and which of those options were most likely. I think we had one answer then. Uh, I think the answer now is more likely <laughs> that he'll get hired out from under us. I, I agree with you, Joe. I don't think he's going to go straight to the national team from here. But it will be interesting to see what he does do from here and kind of what his ambition yeah. is like. And, and if he'll try to go abroad, if he'll stay in MLS, what what he'll do after he leaves here.
2: How how high – maybe, Jeremiah, I'll start with you and then, then Landon. I'm curious. I'm going to turn the tables. How high are you two on Josh Wolf as a manager, as – I mean, you've, I'm sure, spent more time listening to him and watching and sort of observing him than I am. What, what sort of is your perception of him and, and how high do you think his ceiling is as a coach? Do you think he's a, a good coach? Do you think he's sort of just an average coach? Where do you fall? I think, I think he's done, to go back to the video or
0: whatever that we talked about at the beginning of the season, like I think he's done some things that that I didn't, that I didn't know that we thought he could do. And you've talked about that, like his ability to adjust and like change the system for players. And I think he's more flexible than probably people thought mm. he would be. Um, Landon and I are both in like the biggest supporters group for Austin FC and there was a big channel full of people called hashtag wolf out, which is now hashtag wolf which I think is like a very good, <laughs> like we backpedaled for that from like, yeah, he, we think he's awful and he should be gone to like, let's talk about the tactics. which so I can think is probably like a hmm. reflection of the fan base overall. Um, so I've been, I've been really impressed this year. I mean, we'll see how it turns out. The playoffs are obviously their own beast and I don't think he should sure. be judged based upon that, but given this is what I was thinking about earlier, like given our relatively high level belief that they would be good last year and being wrong, and then how we were like none of us, I think Landon and I probably both said our greatest hopes were to finish seventh, you mm-hmm. know, and like limp into the playoffs. Like given how low our expectations were this year, and to also be how wrong again, I think shows that there's a lot of growth in him as a coach. Um, which we thought he had the pedigree to do, but it's nice to see that come to fruition on the field. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I always had a lot of belief
1: in that. Like I thought he would be a, a highly like a skilled tactical mind. That's what everyone who's ever worked with him, played for him, said about him, that tactically he's very, very smart. And I think the stuff that we've seen, especially last year and in at times this year, is his ability to make decisions within a game to change that game or to, to stop a slide to... Um, just make a slight tweak to give the game what it needs. We've seen yeah. him do that at times this year. And then we've seen it other times where he made the wrong decision in a game. I feel like those are things that you learn over time that you don't necessarily get right in your second year ever as a head coach. So I'm, I'm yeah. actually still I always thought he would be very good, but was going to need a few years. And after this season, I feel even more strongly about that. Yeah. Like I I think he has some growing to do, but he knows that. And he's shown the willingness to do that growing and learning and make changes where they need to be changed. He's still going to need some time, but
2: I I, I have pretty high hopes for him. And I'm that's that's fascinating, first of all, to hear both of your guys' perspectives. I am I'm very curious to see what next year looks like for Austin. Right. Because I think the team struggled last year and they certainly had the potential to be better than they were. They've clearly rebounded in a big way this year. I'm not sure they're quite as good as maybe second in the West, but I mean, some big wins, right? And some key changes and a lot of really impressive stuff about this team. Another important transfer window coming up in the winter. In, in, in the winter, I'm curious to see what that looks like and, and sort of how the team continues to take shape. And yeah, to get another look at Josh Wolfe and another full season of, of information on him, because to go back again to, to sort of where this conversation started about the national team job, you know, I, I kind of got to it before, but how many names, how many, Amer- if, if we're limiting it to Americans, which is sort of like the only data that we really can, can draw from at the moment, because we don't know what the, the interest in that job would be. Although I do think it's going to be one of the most uh, highly valued jobs in soccer heading into 2026. But if we say, you know, we're limiting it to Americans, it's, it's Jesse Marsh, it's maybe Matarazzo, Jim Curtin, I think is the, the, the hottest coach in MLS right now, certainly in the hottest team in MLS. After that, who is that, right? There's Josh Wolf. There's sort of the second tier, I guess, of coaches in MLS, but the list is not long. So seeing how Wolf does and, and, and how he develops as one of the, the higher profile American coaches, I think is going to be really interesting.
1: All right. These next questions are also from listeners, but these are Austin FC focused. So other than the current Wolf ball formation and lineup, sorry, and this is from Logan Bartlett. Other than the current Wolf Ball formation and lineup, who do you think is our best 11 and what formation would be best for that group? So a way to paraphrase that is like, could you look at this group of players and think of a, a better way to play with them or a different formation that you think might be more
2: apt for this group of players? Not not off the jump. So I think about, let's start with the back line, right? So I think the forward, the back, in a lot of ways makes sense because, and, and please interject if you think I'm full of it. I don't think that the center back is still, at least in terms of depth, a real area of strength for this team. So I, I think there are some good names on the team sheet, but I don't think actively trying to switch to a three at the back, although maybe using Nick Lima as a, as a right center back could be fun. But I, then I'm not sure there's the full back depth to really make, make that a justifiable decision. So I think the back four makes sense. I think a lot of the midfield alignment stuff makes sense. We talked about Pereira sitting deeper and him orchestrating play. I like that. Aesthetically, Austin, I think are one of the most aesthetically pleasing teams to watch in MLS. They're not you know, flawless every weekend, but Pereira is a big part of that. So selfishly, as an observer, I'm not eager for that to change. And I think he has a lot of really valuable qualities in that spot. Then you look at Ring and Drew in the midfield. I think that's a very obvious, you have to get both of those two players on the field if they're healthy and ready to go and, and play at least even 60 minutes as we head closer to the playoffs. And then I don't really see, you only have so many options basically at that point with your front line. I don't think it makes sense to go to two strikers on I mean, a sort of regular basis. Drew, so he kind of already does some second striker stuff where he's crashing the box like I talked about earlier. So really you're looking at a number nine and, and two wingers. And by the time we put all that together, we kind of have what Josh Wolf has put out on the field this year.
1: With Alex String specifically, is there a, a like a style that you think would fit him best? Uh
2: I I would be fascinated to see him in more of a like all action pressing type of team. I think he would be a phenomenal number eight for the Philadelphia Union, right? With him cleaning up balls and sort of stretching the field vertically and horizontally, I think he'd be phenomenal at that stuff. Now, as he gets older, his, his value and his athleticism goes down. And I think maybe we will see him over time for however much longer he's in Austin or in MLS or playing soccer, sort of drift back more and more into deeper midfield areas and maybe conduct a little bit more like we've seen him do before, but be less of this all action type of guy. But Ring, I think, fits really well. I think he was an excellent player for NYCFC. And there's, a—I mean, you can just tell by the personnel that, that Austin have brought in and some of the names on and off the field that they've, that they've taken from NYCFC. There's real ties between how they were trying to play and how Austin are trying to play right now. So Ring, I think, is a, a really good fit in this team. And I think he's, he's a really important piece for this team as well.
0: Well, I, our next question is for my very favorite username. This is from Patreon. He is... ATX Bergkamp Lover sixty nine sixty nine four twenty, uh, and always, always provides us with amazing questions. <laughs> yes, obviously. great questions, obviously. And I think, Landon, you may have to set up the horseshoe of sadness. But which shape do you find most conducive to ma- maximizing the depression inherent in the horseshoe of sadness, and why? So you want to explain okay. that to Joe?
1: Yeah. So this this listener coined the term horseshoe of sadness last year when Austin would have eighty percent possession but never made a pass into the into the box. And so they're just essentially playing around the, the box, right? In yeah, a U sure. shape and never actually doing anything with it. So sure. I think my follow-up question to that is why does the horseshoe of sadness <laughs> happen and how do you fix it? How do you stop it from happening? Sure. I think
2: I love that. I love the horseshoe of sadness. I'm 100% using that and stealing that. Um, <laughs> and I will do my absolute best to credit ATX 420, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera.
1: Bert, <laughs> ATX per Camp Lover 69, 420.
2: I will do my best to recite that by memory every time I say it, um, written or verbally or whatever it is. Uh, I love that term. It's so good because it's a real problem that soccer teams all over the world face, not just on MLS, but teams that try to dominate the ball have to deal with a lot of horseshoe of sadnessing because the, the honest answer is that I think in soccer, the hardest thing to do is to break down a team using the ball, right? Which is sort of the, the goal that Josh Wolf and, and Greg Beralter and coaches in that vein set for themselves and for their teams is we wanna use the ball, we wanna have it, we wanna control the game when we have it. It can be a defensive mechanism, right? Because if we have it, that means the other team doesn't and that's great, that's really important. You can't get scored on if you have the ball. So that's, that's one half of it, but then the other half is, okay, well, we have the ball. Now we have to break through the other team and actually do something with it. And that is really, really hard because, I mean, we've all played little bits and pieces of soccer in our lives, at least. It's way easier to run at somebody and kick the ball away than it is to go ping, 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 and play through them like pinball. I just, it's hard. It's really, really hard. So that's my honest answer as to why this happens. You have Pep Guardiola spending hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of, of a couple of years to try to get the best absolute players in the world he can to play that style. And even still, sometimes they lose one nil to Burnley, right? So it's just, it's so hard. That's my honest answer to this question. The way to fix it, having good players really helps this problem. It helps it a lot. It helps it a lot. So that's, that's step one. I don't think, I mean, tactics can go a long way, and I'm a big believer in the importance of tactics, if if I'm if Josh Wolf is trying to draw up a tactic uh, for 11 Joe Lowrys on the field to break down a low block, it doesn't matter because I'm not good, right? So you need you need good players, and you also need a smart tactical game plan, right? To be able to have the right mix of of width and of of uh, penetration from players and of line breaking passes, and have the right patterns to try to pull defenders out. It's complicated, and there's a reason why we see coaches say we want to you know play with the ball, and then it doesn't happen because it's it's really really hard. So. It's not a great answer to how to do it because it's it's incredibly difficult to make that happen, but good players and a smart game plan that is somewhat flexible based on the opponent but also has this ingrained philosophy and these set principles, a mixture of all of those things are sort of how I think you get rid of the, the horseshoe of sadness.
1: So the long answer is it's complicated. The short answer is sign Kevin De Bruyne.
2: Correct. That, yes, landed spot on,
1: nailed it. <laughs> All right, this next one comes from Elise. Uh, and she says, statistically, who is going under noticed or underappreciated on the Austin FC team? That's question one. The next question you may not have uh, all the insider information to be able to answer this one, but we can start a conversation with it. And she says, also, the U22s on this team have seem to have a hard time hitting consistently. Who's the most promising for the future of Austin FC? Is it Owen Wolf at this point, or should we be looking towards
2: the academy? Hmm. Okay, so I'll hit the second question first. Owen Wolf, I think, has put in some good minutes this year, and I've been impressed by him just getting on the field as a young player because Austin are so early on in their career as a soccer team, right? That there haven't been a ton of chances for them to get real minutes. I mean, how old is, is Owen Wolf, right? He's like 17. What, seven? Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a kid. I don't think he's put up these crazy, mind-blowing numbers, but he works hard, he has an engine, and he's been getting some really great experience with Austin and, and, and sort of, you know, with the U.S. So I think he is certainly one to keep your eyes on. I'm not convinced he's going to be this next-level kind of prospect, but it's it's a little early, right? It's hard to tell in, in predicting which guys are going to hit and which ones aren't, which girls are going to hit, which ones aren't. It's, it's difficult to do that kind of stuff. But I'd certainly say keep your eyes on Wolf and keep your eyes on the rest of the academy because I think Austin with where they are and include the investment that's there should be a player in the youth development space. And again, it's a little early to be expecting that from them from the jump, but you know, a couple of years from now, yeah, we should start seeing a few more of these players and we should start seeing them on the field a little bit more often as well in terms of the under or the under uh, the under publicized or just underrated statistical genius on this team. If we're trying to find someone who's been really, really good this year, I feel like fellas, a lot of the, the, best players, the guys who have been really key to this team are the ones that are getting all the love. So DrC is obviously huge. I think uh, when you go through and look at Diego Fagundes as well, he's been really big. I don't think he's flawless but some of the passes he's hitting in the final third are, are really good and really important. I'm honestly not sure and I'd be curious to see if you guys have a better answer to this or just have a answer. I don't know that I'm like really in love or the numbers are really in love with a lot of the other players. Maybe Musajite, we haven't seen as much of him to, to draw a hard and fast conclusion for this year, at least based off of this year. But I mean, he is a, a dangerous body up top and he, if he can actually find the motor to get in some good spots, he could be really, really dangerous. We're just not quite seeing the full picture with him right now. So it's kind of like half an answer, but I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Well, I, I actually want to follow
0: up with the U22s because like from our perspective, sure. you know, it seems like between... GTA Redis culminates like we have not got a lot of production out of it, but like you have the perspective of the whole league. Like is Austin an outlier in terms of not getting a lot of production, or if teams, if, if people not figured the U twenty two thing out, or we overanalyzing it? Because I mean, we only have our own perspective, and I'm I would, I would sure
2: be, like to hear what, what you think about that. I mean, I think there are teams that that miss, and Austin, I would say, has largely been one of those teams, and that even applies to. Up until Jujucci, I think the DPS as well. Like that is that is a brutally difficult thing to overcome when you're entering into MLS. Yeah, you have a little bit more money to spend, but like not nailing those signings makes it very difficult to compete right off the bat. I'm trying to think through other teams. There are other teams that haven't really taken full advantage or haven't signed a lot of high profile players or just don't give those players a ton of minutes. Um, but Austin, I think, are probably towards the top of the list of, of not really nailing those signings, which is why, obviously, it's important to, to do that stuff, but also why I think it's interesting to look to the academy as well because that's a great resource, and that's a resource that I think the Philadelphia Union, or sort of the poster child for an MLS right now, even more so than FC Dallas, is, is relying on players that you're developing internally first. Right? Jim Curtin talks about looking inside the club every single time first before they look outside the club, and they've put themselves in a position to do that stuff The more teams that do that, I think, uh, are going to... The more teams that do that stuff, the more teams are going to be sustainably good year after year. And Austin maybe aren't quite there yet, not to say they won't be good next year, but at least as far as youth development goes, I I think there's some work to do, both in terms of their acquisitions from inside the league and and outside the league as well. So I guess our final question is,
1: what is your outlook on Austin going into the playoffs? Like, why do you think Austin could make a deep run, and then what reasons might stop them
2: from making a deep run? Deep run uh, starts and ends with Driussi and Brad Stuver. For me, you have a good goalkeeper and a really dangerous attacking player, and you can do damage. I mean, RSL did a little bit of damage last year without the good attacking player part, so David Ochoa kind of did the (laughs) job for them. So you can do a lot of damage with those couple of pieces. Austin, I think if they make a deep run, both of those players are going to be playing very, very well. And it would not shock me at all if Austin go out there and cause problems. They have the attack to do that. They've been one of the best attacks in MLS this year, both in terms of actual goals and expected goals. And they're a good team, right? They have a lot of those really dangerous qualities in the attack. I think that's what's going to to do it for them. If we're looking at the flip side about why this team might still end up struggling in the playoffs or why they might bow out early, I think it's going to have to do with still that defensive aspect. I don't think they are as they improved defensively from, from last year to this year, but they're still not like a, a really great defensive team in MLS right now. They still give up a lot of chances and, and put Brad Stuver in some dangerous spots. You look at the chances they're just allowing. and They are some
1: stupid mistakes as yeah, well.
2: Yeah, right? It's, it's, it's some of those moments that in single elimination format kill you, right? So Austin might be able to rebound from some of that stuff over a longer regular season, but just like everybody else in MLS in, in the postseason, you're rolling the dice and hoping that those mistakes don't happen hoping that some of the structural issues don't come back to light, they could, right? That's the the danger of the MLS playoffs. That's why it's so fun sometimes, and that's why it's so frustrating other times. But they have the potential certainly to make that run. Now we'll just see if it happens or not.
1: All right, well, I guess my last question is, where can people find your work, Joe?
2: Absolutely. So you can find my writing along with a bunch of other really great soccer folks covering MLS and the national teams and USL and NWSL and Americans brought all that jazz you can find that at Backheel.com. Um, we're putting out stuff every weekday and, and over the weekends as well. Some really good stuff that I'm, I'm very proud of. And then you can hear me if this wasn't just a dreadful experience for you. Hopefully it wasn't. You can listen to me on the Total Soccer Show Monday through Friday. We have great shows out along with uh, a really fun group of folks that I, I truly enjoy working with as well. So Backheel.com and the Total Soccer Show. You can read or hear me or, or do whatever it is that you like to do.
1: Is there a specific article you have out on backhield right now that you would like to point people towards?
2: Sure. I, uh, I went through the U.S. men's. Na- I'm going to pick two because I'm greedy like that. I went through the U.S. men's <laughs> national teams loss to Japan and sort of dissected what was wrong in, in what I think is a way that maybe not a lot of other folks do or, or take the time to do. So I'm proud of that. And I think I got to the bottom of sort of what happened in that game and sort of what needs to improve before the world cup and, and maybe even before their game against Saudi Arabia on Tuesday. And then we have a, a great piece up on Ricardo Pepe, a name that Austin FC fans will know very, very well, sort of about his, his state of mind, right. And sort of how he's adjusting to all these different changes that he's had since leaving Dallas for, for Europe. So we, we had a chance to sit down and talk with Ricardo Pepe, um, in an exclusive sit down to hear more about sort of what he's been up to and how things are going and what his outlook is. So, Pepe and the national team is sort of the focus right now. And then we'll shift back to MLS stuff over the weekend.
1: All right. Excellent. Well, listeners, definitely go find Joe's work. He's great. I'm a big fan of his. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. It was a blast again like it was last time.
2: Absolutely. Landon, Jeremiah, thank you guys so much for having me. And we'll have to do this again next year to look back at once again how wrong I was about all this stuff. And (laughs) We'll just make it happen. Let's make it a tradition. Let's do it. Deal. I ain't got no time.
1: We want to thank Joe Lowry for joining us. We had a lot of fun with that one. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if if you're listening to this, I'm guessing you enjoy the show. If you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. We're getting into playoff times. I think there's going to be a lot of people expressing interest in the team. If you talk to anybody who you think might be interested in the show, let them know about it. Because we would we would greatly appreciate that. I think word of mouth is... Probably the fastest way that that this show spreads, and so uh, yeah, let someone know. We greatly appreciate that.
0: Well, I want to add to that. So I, like, I let some people know that I was on this trip to Salt Lake City with who were soccer like season ticket holders and stuff that didn't know. And then that was on Monday night, and then Tuesday morning, they're like, "Hey, I downloaded the show. Like, I hope you're good." I'm like, "Guys, we were like in the bar together last night. Do you?" So hopefully, <laughs> so hopefully, Wellhausen didn't drive any of them away. <laughs> That's really the point I wanted to make here. No pressure, Chris. Uh, if you want to continue the
1: conversation, come find us on Twitter at LVHero87 and Bentley underscore ATX, and then sign up for the Patreon where we ask for questions for interviews like the one we just did with Joe Lowry. Uh, you can ask insightful questions like folks like, uh, let's see, Elise and Tom normally ask, or you can ask ridiculous questions like atx lover 6969420 ask. You can't, we don't control any of that. So you get to do whatever you want. Um, We'd also encourage you to visit the Striker website where you can get 30% off with the code Moontower22. That's with a capital M. Jeremiah, what should folks look out for this week?
0: Yeah, I think we talked about this before, but just the the Musa Gite article uh, that kind of goes into all the things that were going on in his life and sort of why we should all feel happy and joyful uh, for Musa that Chris Bills wrote on September 15th. Again, it's like, one of my favorite pieces of content that I've seen put out from the striker. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new
1: episode of moon tower soccer. where we will review the Vancouver match and then we'll preview our final match of the year against Colorado and then cover any other news that comes up until then. I'm Landon Cotton. I'm
0: Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When is around. Thing for nothing, so you never. La gente. Oh my God.